Glory to God. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So, we have been doing our series on apologetics during our medic services. So, last we talked about Jesus as um, why we believe, why we know that Christianity is the, you know, is the way to God, is the way, the only way. Like Christ said in John 46, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. So we go today a step further. Okay? And we ask the question, is God good? Is God good? Why does the God of the Old Testament look so evil and the God of the New Testament so loving? Why is God good? Why does the God of the Old Testament look so evil and the God of the New Testament so loving? Interesting. Open your Bibles to Mark 12, 29. Mark 12. 12:29 Mark 12:29 Thank you Lord Jesus Jesus Christ speaking he said to them the most important one answer Jesus is this Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one Okay Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. What's telling them? Was affirming to them that the God of the Old Covenant and the God of the New Covenant, they are one God, not a different God. Right? Was affirming to them that He, Jesus, is the God of the Old and the New Covenant. Okay? He is forever God. Okay? The Lord your God is one. Okay, the Trinity is one in will, character, and essence. What the Father does is what the Son does, and what the Spirit does. You get that? They may play different roles in execution, but they agree fully. Okay, what the Father does is what the Son does, and what the Spirit does. This, this is important, okay? John 5, 19 to 20. John 5, 19 to 20. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John 5, 20. I'm opening it now. So, verse 19 says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than this. So that you'll be amazed. Awesome. Open to John six, John sixteen twelve, John sixteen twelve to six. 
I have much to say to you now, to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. 14. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. Are you seeing that? So He's saying that uh, what the Father does is what the Son does, is what the Spirit does. So they share character, they share essence, they share a common will. Okay. So this is what it means. It means that whatever the character of Jesus Christ is, is also what the character of Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament. It did not change. You get that. That is in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Look at that. I am the Lord. I do not change. So if God is loving now, it means that God has forever been loving. If God is kind now, it means that God has forever been kind. God did not become kind in Jesus. No. God has always been kind. Okay? God has always been good. God has always been loving. Okay? So Jesus is not an evolution of God. Jesus is not an Evolution of God is not an evolution of God. He is not God repenting of his character. It's not God what repenting of his character. It's not God changing character. Okay? It's rather God fully revealed to man. Hebrews 1 1 to 3 says that Jesus is the image of God. Is the, the, the image there is icon. The image of God. The exact representation. The mirror reflection of God. So is the exact of God, okay, so whatever his character is, is what God's character has always been. Do we get that? So Jesus reveals the character of God. If just is love, then God is and has always been love. Do we get that? So we, we tend to see the God of the old covenant as though he had one hand on the smite button. You know what we call smite? He smote them, he killed them, he destroyed them. So we seem as though he had his, he had one hand, one finger on the smite button. So that when, when just, just just do anything, just press his smite, destroy, right? It's as though he has his hand on the smite button. Okay. We now see the God of this covenant as one who is all about forgiveness. You should ever ever know that it has always been the same God. The Lord your God is one. He does not change. God does not change. The Lord, your God, is one. It does not change. Awesome. So, we'll look at um, some instances in the Bible, common events, that we find it hard to believe what God did there in the Old Testament. Okay? So, we'll start by looking at tonight, look, look tonight at um, Uzzah. Uzzah 
and the ark. Uzzah and the ark. Second Samuel 6 from verse 1 to 8. David again brought together all the young men of Israel. 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Look at it, verse 3. This is important. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Hahil, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castronets, apps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and timbals. Are we following? Right? So verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Verse 8. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to that day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. Awesome. So we see this. We see Uzzah trying to save the ark of God from falling down, right? It appeared he was doing a noble act. In fact, he was doing a noble act with good intention, right? But he thought the ark, and according to verse 7, God's anger burned against him because of his irreverent act. In good intention, though, therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Tragic, right? Awesome. But this is what we should know. That God had always told them exactly how to carry the ark. He gave them exact direction on how to carry the ark. Okay? The priests were to carry it with poles on their shoulders. In fact, the ark had rings for the poles to make it clear how it should be carried. In fact, God told them they should put the poles into the rings and never remove the poles so that they were always supposed to carry the ark with the poles on their shoulders. They were never to touch the ark. God had made that them over and over and over. As we see in Exodus 25 verse 10. Exodus 25 verse 10 to 15. Exodus 25 10 to 15. Look at that. He said, He said that, verse 10, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, 
two and a half cubit long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold mold around it. Cast four gold rings. Look at it. Verse 12. Cast. Please for, for, forgive my dogs. Forgive them. Forgive my dogs. Verse 12. Cast four gold rings for it. And fasten them to his four feet. With two rings on one side. And two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood. And overlay them with gold. Look at that. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. So God told them to put the ring, to put the, the, the make rings and put poles in the rings. They are not to be removed. They have to therefore the carrying of the ark so that no one would ever have to touch the ark. We see furthermore on this in Numbers 4.15 Numbers 4.15 Numbers 7.79 Deuteronomy 10.8 Look at it. Verse 4.15 Numbers 4.15 says After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles and when the camp is ready to move only then are the co-artites to come and do the carrying. Okay. They must not touch the holy things or they will die. The co-artites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. Okay? They are to carry it, but they are not to touch the holy things. Very important. Okay, very important. Okay, so he had told them earlier, and they had always known that they were not to touch the ark of the covenant. So God told them, ask carry it, and they had always done it that way previously. Okay, the way it's done that way, but they had every all over where they carried that way without touching the ark. They have been told clearly to never touch the ark or they will die. Now we also see that later on in Second Samuel 6, 13 to 15, that okay, they took correction and they went back. Okay, they went back. To carry the ark in the appropriate way. Let's go there. 2 Samuel 6, 13 to 15. Are we following? 2 Samuel 6, 13 to 15. Look at that. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord are taking six steps, okay, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Look at that. Now, this was the issue here. In this case now, that learned their lesson to carry the ark appropriately. Let, let, let me explain this. Number one, in the first part, they put the ark on carts. Mistake. They were to carry the ark on their shoulder. The priests were to carry the ark on their shoulders. But instead, they put the ark on a cart. It was an insult to God to put the ark on a cart. Why? Now, in those days, they carried royalty. Have you seen those old movies where they will carry royalties on thrones, you know, on them, um, on on chairs, those golden chairs, okay? And their servants will carry, you know, they will carry the the 
the thrones, the chairs, with the royalty on it. They were carried on their shoulders. See, first time was carried on their shoulders, right? That was how to transport royalty, right? But in this case, they put the ark of God on a cart. In fact, it seems as though carts were for carrying cargo. So, they treated the ark of covenant like a thing. Like cargo. Imagine that. If they treated the ark of the covenant like cargo, they, they took it as something without reverence. Carried it on on the, on the cart. So now, they had learned their lesson and now they carry the ark of the covenant. Priest carrying it. Let, let, let me show something. Let's open to... To... I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. To First Chronicles 15. First Chronicles 15, 11 to 13. First Chronicles 15, 11 to 13. Are we following? Please give me give me a shout if you're following. I can know, know we're getting us. Are we following? Are we getting it? First Chronicles 15, from 11 to 13. David again brought together all the Able young men of Israel. Now, this is sorry, I'm coming. Second Chronicles, first Chronicles 15, 11 to 13, verse 11, 11, 11. This is showing us the, the occasion in um in Chronicles version of it. Okay, then David summoned Zadok and Abiata the priest, and Huriel and Asahiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel. And Aminadab, the Levite, he said to them, You are the head of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves. At what? Consecrate yourselves. And bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place the Lord, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time. That the Lord our God in, in anger, that, that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire on him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So they were meant to be carried by priests that had purified themselves and prepared themselves to carry the ark on their shoulders. They knew this, but they, they took it for granted, okay? And they, they, they treated the Ark of the Covenant like an, like an unholy thing and placed on a, on a cart, okay? So, they learned their lesson and they carried it, you know, the right way. Going further, now, we see also, I'll explain this, okay, that in verse 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel 6, the same Ark of Covenant, when, if, when, when, when he broke out and killed Uzzah, they took it to the house of Obed-Edom for three months. Look at that. And the Lord blessed him. And its entire household. This is important, okay? Someone else took the ark to, to, to his house. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. The same ark that someone touched and died was to someone else's house. And the person was blessed, he and his entire household. This is something here. It is as though a principle and laws were at work here. It's not, it's not as though God. Press this this might button and, and smote Isa. It looks as though it was actions and consequences. Actions and consequences that laws have been put in place on the ark. 
Now it's like saying that do not touch naked wire. If you do, it will shock you with that. Now, laws have been put in place in that naked wire such that if you touch it, it will shock you and it can kill you. Depending on the voltage it's carrying. So it's not as though God just got angry and smote Uza. Laws had been put in place. God had put his power in the ark. You know, God doesn't dwell in things, right? But God has put his power, has put an, an anointing on the ark. Are you getting that? So that there are laws in place on the ark. If you touch it in the wrong way, boom, something will happen. Not because God was wanted to kill anybody, but because laws had been put in. And he had warned them, do not touch it. Only the Levites prepared should carry it on their shoulder with, with, with poles. Okay? No one should touch it. Is that clear? Is that clear? Now, to show you how powerful the Ark of Covenant was, when the Philistines captured the Ark and took it to the house of their God, by the next morning, their God had fallen face down, arms broken, legs broken, head broken. To show you how powerful the Ark was, they took the Ark from there and took it to Gath. You can see this in 1 Samuel 47, 1 Samuel 4, 5, 6, and 7. They took it to to God, and God broke out against them. People were suffering from issues because the ark of God was taken from Israel and taken to Philistine. So it is as though the ark itself had in itself power to secure blessing or judgment. So God did not have to press yes or no. <laughs> there was a default law set in place in the ark to bless those that treat the ark rightly and to cause those that treated the ark wrongly. This is important, okay? So we now understand what happened to Uzzah. There were laws in place on the ark that would not fail. Touch it, die, the end. You get that. It is only if the priest carried the ark appropriately, as long as the ark was carrying the power, only those to carry will carry it in the right way without touching it. Okay? Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? Now, this is important, okay? Now, this same presence and power that was on the ark, we see how scary powerful it was in, in Exodus 19. Exodus 19. To show you what they took for granted. Exodus 19. Are we following? Are we learning? You are too quiet. Are we learning? Exodus 19. Awesome. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Go to, go to verse 10. Exodus 19. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 12, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, look at that, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you not touch or approach, that you not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever 
touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Look at this. Look at this. No, not a hand is to be laid on them. Why? So that you, so that you don't, so that they don't communicate the cause on their own edge too. So don't touch them. Or don't let them come near. You just make sure the person dies there. Okay. Very important. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's arm sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. Verse 14. After Moses had gone down to the mountain, mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the feet of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As sound of the trumpet blew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people. So they did not force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out on them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up on Mount Sam because you yourself have warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. 24. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or it will break out against them. So Moses went down to the group and told them, Look at that. This same violent presence, this same violent power, look at it. Imagine now being enclosed in an ark. And you are now told, Carry this ark in particular way because what is in it? It's for better for cursing, okay? Depending on how you treat the ark. Are you seeing that? Very important. Which is why we thank God for the new covenant. We thank God for the new covenant. In Hebrews 12, 18-29. Hebrews 12, 18-29. Thank God for the new covenant. I'm opening it. Hold on. Hebrews 12, 18-29. Loading, loading, loading. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged 
that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Look at this. So when we sing songs like, There is lightning and thunder. Kinikon, kinikon, kinikon. Uh, that, that is the old covenant, okay? Right now, there is no lightning and thunder from anywhere, okay? That was the old, this is the new, okay? That was so bad. People saw it and were trembling with fear, okay? That's where we are right now. We have come rather to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the earthly Jerusalem. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. What was the, what's the difference here? What was the difference here? That in this case, we said before, actions have consequences. But now we can come before God boldly. Why? Christ has paid the consequence for every sin. Christ has paid the price for sin. So we do not walk before God in fear of judgment. This is important. I will probably come back to this, okay? Amen. Now, because of the price that Christ paid, you know, we said before that God does not dwell in things but in people. We have now been washed by the blood. We are now made temples of God. We are now able and we carry God's presence. Hallelujah. We are now the carriers of God's presence. We are the temple of God. Okay. Let's cross right now. 6, 9, 20 says, We have been washed purified, sanctified, and all that. We are now God's temple. And God's temple should be reverenced. Treated with honor. Honor for oneself and for other believers. Keeping the body away from sinful acts. Now, if you see how God protects the act of the covenant, how much more we that are now the temple of the living God that God dwells in. Okay? is why we are told to, to, to keep our bodies holy. Okay? Our bodies have now become the temple of the living God. That's number, number two. We are also to treat other believers with the same honor. Why? Every believer is the temple of God. And even, even much more, together as a family, we are the body of Christ. So, we should respect people of the body. Even when they err, we address them in love. Loving correction, not mockery. Okay? We must respect the body. Nobody has any right to mock any member of the body of Christ. Even when they err, God guards his body jealously. In that part, 2 Samuel 6 and all that. 2 Samuel 6. The earth was about to fall. And Saul tried to put his hand and God smote him. Look at that. So, even when people err, our response must be love. We must treat the body of Christ with honor and reverence. Honor and reverence. First Corinthians 3, 
16 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that at that temple. So God protects his body generously. So treat the body with respect. Honor your fellow believer. Honor your own body. Carry your body as valuable. Not to be taught by any man or any woman until marriage. No partner, no body should be touching you. Guard your body generously. Someone will say, don't kiss. We are just helping you, okay? So remember to treat your body with honor. Remember the, the communion story in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul told them that because they are not respecting the body of Christ, okay? They are not respecting one, one, one another, okay? By rushing communion food, they were, some people went home hungry, others went home super filled, okay? By not respecting and showing honor to other believers, they were, they were, um, they were, um, at risk of of God's wrath. Okay, so we treat the body with respect. Certain also have to have to analyze affairs. Bring Christ to the body of Christ. Okay, we have to treat the body of Christ with respect, with dignity. See the same thing also happened to Herod. Herod took James, killed James, and took one to keep it also. And later on, that same chapter, and the angel struck Herod, and he died. Amagos Ethan. God. Protect his body. So also in Revelation to Jezebel that God told God told her, God told the Jezebel in that in that case that he will strike her and her children. Okay, strike her and her followers. Okay, so protect the body of Christ. So we as the body should have confidence in God that God guides us jealously. This should not scare you, but rather give you give you joy that God protects his body. God protects you. So it means that no arm is permitted to come near you. No one is allowed to harass you. No one is allowed to assault you. You are the temple of God. Anyone that destroys God's temple, God himself will destroy. Okay, so this should give us boldness and confidence that we are God's temple and we are protected. Is that good? Are we blessed? Did we learn something? Did we learn something? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now begin to give God praise. Thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for His Word. Thank Him because He guides us jealously. Thank Him because we are the apple of His eye. Thank Him for His love. Give Him praise. Lord, we give you all the praise. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for Your Word. We ask, O oh God, that as we go back and hear this word over and over again, we are assured, we are assured of Your love for us. Your love for the world and your love for the body of Christ as a whole. In the name of Jesus. We know you better. We see you clearer. We are more confident in preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Thank you guys. Love you so much. Bye-bye.